The Bible reading this morning comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 28. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read out to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Well, good morning. I'm glad you're able to make it. We've had some apologies from people who uh, have rivers right in their, in their backyard that are rising. So please remember those uh, all around the area at the moment and across our state who are suffering and, uh, and who are in danger as well with uh, possible flooding in their areas. Let me pray. Lord God, we do, uh, as we come to your word, uh, we do remember those uh, who are suffering from floods, uh, devastation up and down the coast, and those who are anxious right now at this time about their own homes. And uh, Lord, we pray for your calmness. We pray for your peace. We pray for all those who work to serve uh, the various agencies that are working to protect homes and lives at this time. Please enable them to do their work well and keep them safe, we pray. And for ourselves, Lord God, as we look at your word in 1 Thessalonians, we ask that uh, we would be encouraged that we are family in Christ and we have responsibilities one to the other. And may we live out these responsibilities to your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, friends, we come to the end of our launch series, Authentic Church. And we started with a, a faith that works, a ministry that pleases, a love that labours, a life that is holy, a hope that endures, a faith that is alert, because we belong to the day, as we saw last week. Today, a community that is family. And we remember, and I think it came up a little bit as Brian spoke about eating together and talking together and encouraging each other, that we don't live the Christian faith alone. We live it in community. We live it as family. And that's why gathering is so important, whether on a Sunday as we're gathered here or via live stream today, or whether in our home groups, whether over meals or over coffee. And that's why most of us found COVID really difficult, didn't we? You couldn't meet with others. And while we have it easy in Australia, uh, people are in lockdown in Europe, they're in lockdown in South America, they're in lockdown in other parts of Asia and continue not to be able to gather. There's something beautiful about gathering with family. And friends, one of the beautiful images in the New Testament is that the church is family. 
And he uses the language of brothers and sisters all the time, that we are brothers and sisters, and sometimes the brothers and sisters in the church are much closer than your natural brothers and sisters. Isn't that true? Brothers and sisters in the church are sometimes closer because of the work of the Spirit of God in your life, and that you can trust them more and share with them more even than your natural brothers and sisters. And so five times in this section, verses 12, 14, 25, 26, and 27, he calls them adelphi, which is the Greek word, brothers, which is inclusive of men and women, talking about all of the community. If God is our father, then fellow believers are our sisters and our brothers. That ought to affect our behavior to one to the other. Uh, he, Paul has already urged them to love one another in Philadelphia. Philos, which is love, Adelphia, which is the brotherly love, in chapter 4, 9 to 10, and encourage each other to build each other up in 4, 18 and 5, 11. It says, encourage one another, build each other up, encourage one another as brothers and sisters. But he also uh, reminds uh, the Thessalonians where it's all heading. And he concludes his instructions with a powerful conclusion in verses 23 and 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and, spirit and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is looking at that blameless before Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. One of the subjects I did at high school, maybe you did as well if you're in my generation, was technical drawing. It's the only practical thing I did at school. And I try to be practical. But the tech drawing teacher would often say, the secret to drawing a straight line freehand is to look where you're going. To look where you're going. But it's also the secret to the Christian life. In a sense, we need to look where we're going to be with Christ in heaven, blameless before him. Look constantly to where we're going if we're going to live, in one sense, a straight line. A life that is pleasing to God. And in this, in this chapter, or this section of the chapter, thinking about where we're going, where we want to be, the fact that we are brothers and sisters, he gives us some final instructions. Number one is responsibilities towards leaders. What do leaders do and what is the church's responsibility towards them? Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Well, firstly, the leaders work, and I guess I'm speaking to myself and any other leaders who are active in ministry. Leaders should work hard. True pastoral work is hard work. So the Greek word they use here to describe work means strive, toil, struggle, grow weary in doing so. In other words, don't just cruise in ministry. Expect to be tired. Expect to be up late at night, up early in the morning. It conjures up pictures, someone says, of ripping muscles. I don't have any of those. <laughs> and pouring sweat. I often have a little bit of that when I exercise. Right? That's the picture that work hard. Let people, it should be visible that you're working hard. And John Stott writes, whether it is study and the preparation of sermons or visiting the sick and counseling the disturbed or instructing people for baptism or marriage or being diligent in intercession, these things demand that we toil, striving with all the energy which he mightily inspires within us, Colossians 1.29. So we strive, we work hard with his power working within us. 
And I always find it interesting uh, when you talk to some people outside the church, uh, maybe even inside the church, who don't really know, for example, what a pastor does. I remember uh, when I moved other people about that, and it's important to read. He had no idea why a pastor, I don't know what he thought I did, why I needed books. Another person said to me a few years ago, he said, oh, all right, you're a pastor. Right, so are you still teaching maths during the week and pastoring on the weekend? Yes, just how it works. <laughs> now, some people have part-time jobs and part-time pastoring. And I, when I say to them, we have a six full-time pastors, they have no idea what we're talking about. They have no idea what's involved in ministry. I love this piece by Richard Baxter. Uh, he was a, uh, in the 1660s, he wrote this, a Christian leader. And I'm going to read what he says that he thinks ministry is about. It's called, I am the preacher. I'll give you an insight into where my heart is as well. I preach as never sure to preach again, and as a dying man to dying men. I am the preacher like you, another experiment in grace, a fellow witness to the truth, a flesh and blood testimony to the goodness of God. I have soup stains on my tie, razor nicks on my chin, mud on my boots, a song on my lips, and the joy of Jesus in my heart. I am part poet, part mechanic, that's definitely not me, part soldier, part mother hen, and part badger. I live in the shadow of the cross. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to be a man of his word. I am a purveyor of hope, a merchant of mercy, an advocate of agape love, a fan of faith, and a sharer of the good news. I want to be better than I am. I want you to be better than you are. I want to reproduce Jesus in my life and help you do the same. I want us both to live beyond human capabilities. I want us to be fueled by the Holy Spirit. I pray, I study, I wrestle with the text. I preach first to me. I'm a husband, a father, a son, a brother, a friend, a guy. I wear lots of hats, some fit better than others. I have more good days than bad, but enough bad to relate. I believe that all is well, whether I know it or not. I'm convinced that there is a better world coming. Thus, I hope we can both live otherworldly now. I comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. I would rather step on your toes than tickle your ears. I would rather you love me than you like me. I want you to go to heaven, and I would love to join you. I want what is best for you at times more than you do. I'm concerned with character, mine and yours. I promote a Christian worldview. I want us to be successful in biblical terms. I'm about the business of redefining the human experience. I want us to live the wisdom from above. I seek to bring rhyme to reason and method to madness. I try to stir the soul, feed the mind, pry open the heart, and challenge the conscience. I feel, I laugh, I cry, I wait, I hurt, I understand, I know, I care. I encourage, I exhort, I rebuke, I teach, I model, I persevere, I pay attention, I serve, I nourish, I love. The goal of my instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, 1 Timothy 1 verse 5. I am the preacher, he writes. Something worth imitating, isn't it, don't you think? 
to live like that, to think like that, to pray like that, to dream like that for each of us. Secondly, he says, leaders are over you in the Lord. They work hard. They're over you in the Lord. They have a responsibility to care and to protect you. It includes an element of authority. We talk about servant leadership in the church, but let's not deny the fact that part of servant leadership also includes authority. Hebrews 13 says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that your work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. We're not talking about dictatorial oversight, but a partial care and concern, David Jackman writes. Leaders are over you and the Lord, and they admonish you. What does that mean? Nuthatel means to warn against bad behavior and its consequences. And let me say, no one likes admonishing. When people have made up, and people in this congregation over the years have made up their minds to disobey God and to live unholy lives. And sometimes, when I'm made aware of that, or David's made aware, or some of us, we then have to go do with Jesus into the future. If you continue that way, you need to change. You need to seek the grace of God and the power of God. It's tough work. I had to address immorality, sexual immorality, and adultery, or arrogance, or domestic violence in situations. We have to call it out because you see, leaders are called to admonish in order that people would come back. As normally you have the whole idea of admonishing and teaching everyone in Colossians 1.28 and 3.16. You admonish and you teach. In other words, you bring correction and then you show people how to live a godly life after that. Part of the responsibilities of leaders. I must say it's not simply pastors. If you're a home group leader and there's someone in, in your group and we know it happens and who are, are not living a godly life or not turning up to your group and you know that the things are happening, part of your role is to Make an effort and see if they'll respond to have a conversation, to meet and pray together. And many of you feel that hurt and that pain when people sometimes walk away from Christ, sometimes continue into sinfulness, which becomes destructive. Leon Morris also says helpfully that uh, we're not talking about admonishing as a harsh ministry. It, he said its tone is brotherly, although it is big brotherly. So what is then the godly attitude to leadership? How do you respond to leaders? How do I respond to other leaders? It says they should respect them and hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Now, I'm not going to tell you to love us as pastors and leaders. The Bible tells you that, so we'll move on, right? But you, know, you and I know that in many churches, churches are at loggerheads, pastors fall out with congregations, and uh, you have church splits, and you have... Uh, discouragement, and you have offense to the gospel when people, other people look in to see what happened at that church. Many pastors drop out of ministry. It's too tough. There's too much opposition. It's too stressful. In fact, uh, during this COVID time, by the way, uh, if you weren't aware, there have been articles everywhere trying to encourage pastors to keep going as we're trying to encourage members to keep going. And uh, I know at a local church, big church, uh, not far from us, where two of their staff had to go on long-term stress leave in the middle of COVID. The imp impacts of everything changed, not being able to gather with people, and job descriptions changing because, well, you can't run that because 
it's not happening, and you've now got to do this part of your ministry. And uh, one of the ways in which we sought to guard against some of that is during COVID, we continue to meet on site as leaders. And others work from home where everyone's isolated. Now, we gathered here, and I'm happy to say, I said, listen, we have big offices, big space. If there's only six of us on site, well, we've got plenty of room to isolate, right? That was my perspective. People come to us to get food and so on, so we continue to work here. And I think that was one of the things that made it helpful for us to keep going and keep thriving in ministry, let me say, rather than uh, just surviving in ministry. But we valued your prayer and your support during that time, your encouragement. You know how encouraging that was as leaders when we tried to live stream and all these guys, Dave and Andrew and others, got it up happening in the morning and uh, people just sent us a little note saying, thanks guys for doing that. We really appreciate that. Just those little comments to say, okay, let's keep going. <laughs> let's do it again this week. We don't know what next week's going to look like. We don't know what a month later is going to look like. We don't know when we can gather but your encouragement stirred us up and encouraged us. Friends, if we didn't have that from you, we probably would have been on stress leave too. But because you loved us and you encouraged us and you, and you talked us up and, and reminded us of God's love, I think we have survived, more than survived, continued to do God's work during this time. But secondly, uh, let's move to responsibilities towards one another. Because I love the fact that Paul doesn't leave it there, simply leaders and responsibilities either way. But he says, We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Firstly, members ought to care for one another. You notice the instructions now, brothers and sisters. In other words, congregation members, you have a responsibility. The pastor cannot do it alone, right? You already know that. We do it. We're a family. We serve together. We all have a responsibility to one another, to care for one another, to uh, admonish one another, to encourage one another. We, say, we always say the pastor's door is always open. Please give us a call first because he may not be there even though the door's open. So we can book out a time to see you and to talk and to pray. Door is always open. But at the same time, we need to care for one another. He says, firstly, warn those who are idle. That's a specific context here. But I must say, you could probably, before we even get to this context, warn those who are idle, those who are lazy, or not, not really living for Christ, not really contributing to the ministry. Just come and take. They don't do anything. Warn those who are idle. Here, I think, is about talking about those who are undisciplined or lazy, refuse to work. You see, in... Two Thessalonians, we have these verses. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who's idle. Seems to be a problem here, the lazy ones. And do not live according to the teaching you receive from us. Not only are they lazy, they are not following God's word. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. Obviously, some people are sponging off others, right? not working, just going to the family feasts and enjoying themselves. On the contrary, we work, we work night and day, laboring and toiling, that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. It's godly to work hard, to earn your money, and then to serve. For even when we were with you, you gave us 
We gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. We warn those who are idle, whatever, however that looks like. We encourage the timid, he says. The faint-hearted, those anxious, maybe about their friends who had died or about their own salvation. Maybe that was the situation in Thessalonica. Maybe those who are worried or discouraged or fearful. Maybe those who have had much tougher during COVID. Those who have not coped as well, who haven't gone out as much. Encourage the timid, the discouraged, the fearful. Spend time with them, pray with them, listen to them, eat with them, drink coffee with them. Whatever it is, time with others. Help the weak, he says. Hold on to them, cling to them. There are some people in the church who will be weaker than others for various reasons, and the brothers and sisters need to come alongside them to help them. Maybe the loss of a loved one, maybe the loss of employment, maybe financial stress. Whatever it happens to be, get alongside them, he says. You are the church. But be patient with everyone. I'm sure you've never been impatient with anyone. You know, that person in your group is doing that same thing again and again. Here we go again. Or that person, you know, they make that same mistake and you save them out of it once and you save them again. How many times do I have to save you from this? No, you've never felt like that. You've been full of grace and gentleness and long-suffering, the Bible says. Makrothemia is long-suffering. I love that because it said there is suffering involved in being patient with people. You see, when you're patient with them, you see them come out the other side and they're flourishing, they're living for Jesus. It's a wonderful thing. And don't take revenge, but rather express kindness. I wonder whether people take revenge in the church. I wonder how they might take revenge so it doesn't look that bad. Maybe revenge is I no longer talk to that person. I haven't done anything negative to them, I just... I refrain from conversation or from eating with that person or gathering with that person. He does say, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. So church, I'm saying to you, make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong. If someone hurts someone, make sure, and if one of your friends is angry and they're, they're going to take revenge, you make sure they don't do it. You say, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Am I my sister's keeper? Yes, you are. And I love that. It doesn't simply say, don't take revenge, Ange. It says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. And since none of you uh, are taking revenge, can I encourage you to try a random act of kindness this week to someone? Random act of kindness. You know, we were blessed the, the other day. Uh, a pastoral team went out with our secretary, Lisa, uh, she celebrated 20 years at Nawi Baptist Church. She works Monday to Thursday, back in January. So we went out for dinner at this lovely uh, little cafe in Oatley West. Edmonds and Greer, give it a bit of a publicity here. And so we went in up the back, we finished our meal and we came out. I went to pay and I said, oh sorry, it's already been paid for you. We happened to meet someone in our church uh, as we arrived and they chose to bless others as a random act of kindness and generosity to say, we value what you guys do, we value the team, and they, they paid for our lunch that day. 
This week, authentic church, show some kindness to someone. And then responsibilities toward God. It says, rejoice always, or be joyful always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And one of the responses we have as Christians is, we could be the miserable ones, we could be the downcast ones all the time, or we can rejoice in what God has done for us. In the Lord, not in your circumstances necessarily, but you rejoice in the Lord because of His saving work, because of the events of Easter that we're going to celebrate in two weeks' time, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the forgiveness of Christ, the, the certain hope of eternity that comes through Christ, the power to overcome sinful temptations, as we've seen in this letter. Rejoice in the Lord always. Pray continually. Some of those really short verses. Pray continually in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, when you go to work, when you're at home, when you're at the football field, when you're at the gym. Pray continually. Have you a spiritual alertness about you that you are constantly praying? There's a fellow called a Sangster, Methodist preacher, uh, during the Second World War, and he would often get up and he would say this. It's a little bit quaint for our modern ears, but uh, get what he's saying. Good morning, Lord. And what are we going to do together today? Right. What are we going to do together today? Lord, what's going to happen? So as you, you get into the day, right at the beginning, say, okay, Lord, I'm available to be used by you. It's amazing I've been praying for something like that recently. And the phone calls that come in, or the meeting of people on the streets and having gospel conversations. Give thanks in all circumstances. I say, in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. And that's different. You go through some terrible circumstances in life sometimes. You give thanks in the midst of that, that God is sovereign and God is good and there's a future to come. There's a love there for you and you can trust his perfect will. Listen to the word of God. He says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Now, don't put out the Spirit's fire by treating prophecies with contempt. I mean, sometimes, uh, what's a prophecy? Prophecy is, is brought in two ways. Number one, a prophet simply speaks forth God's word from the Bible. God speaks. So in one sense, a preacher is also a prophet. There's some overlap there. You speak God's word. But there's also... Uh, in a prophetic word, something about the future as well. Some prophecies are about the future. I sense God is saying to us as a church that we should do this, or I sense that God has said this about you. And when people say that, uh, you've got to test it. You've got to test it. And sometimes people, we don't let people stand up in the middle of a service and say, I have a word from God, a prophecy. I'll say, if you think you have a word from God for our church, come and see me and we will weigh that up. Come to my office, the door is always open. Happy to consider that. But in the Bible, there are some tests for prophecy. Number one, does it agree with the plain truth of Scripture? So examine the Scripture. Is it consistent? Does it agree with Jesus being fully divine and fully human? 1 John 4, does it understand the identity of Christ? Does it agree with the gospel of God's free and saving grace through Christ? Does, it, does the character of the prophet match their profession? Matthew says, by their fruit you will recognize them. Does it build up the church? And the test of fulfillment, does the prophecy come true? So when someone says, oh, God has told me, now I often say, well, I sense God is leading me in this direction. That is different to say, God has told me that, Sammy, you will leave your job as a lawyer and you're going to go into full-time ministry, have a word from God, it's clear God has told me, 
And so this week, you must hand in your resignation. Now, if I say that to Sammy, he probably won't leave the next service, he'll run. <laughs> but he'll come to me and go, well, let's um, thank you, Ange, for your word. Let me go to God and see what God tells me. Right? Weighing it all up. Why do I think it's from God? How do I know it's from God? So I've had people... Uh, uh, say to others in the past, I remember growing up as young adults and someone would come and say, well, God's told me that we are going to get married. And the correct response is, well, when, when God tells me, I'll let you know <laughs> as well. Very careful, but at the same time, God encourages the church through prophets, he says here, but if someone does bring one, test it out to see if it's consistent with the scriptures, it's from God. And then he concludes, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. There's the blessing now. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. None of that today, please. 1.5 meters, right? Uh, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He prays as he finishes for their sanctification, their holiness. But sometimes you think when you read all of this, this you think, was well, anyone ever going to make it? It's a hard call, isn't it, to be an authentic Christian who lives out the faith. The word of encouragement is this. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. So church, it's not in your strength. It's not in my strength. It's in God's strength that you will be blameless before the presence of Christ. It doesn't mean that we don't do anything. We just sit back, let God do it all. It does mean that we are not alone on the journey. God is with us. He wants us to stand blameless before his son on the last day, and he will do everything in his power to see that we do. There's no greater encouragement than that. In light of that day, let us live as authentic Christian community. As brothers and sisters, let us live as family. As we're going to sing a beautiful song as we finish uh, today, which is, uh, I want to know you, which is really saying to God, you love us, we want to know you more deeply, we want to live for you and for your glory.